Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on. And it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, in the last couple of episodes, we have had uh, some awesome game writers on talking about, you know, some old favorites. We've had Carl from Crooked Dice talking about the new edition of 7TV. Um, we, of course, have had Mike, Mike Hutchinson, uh, writer of Gaslands, talking about his new game, Hobgoblin. And those are both great and amazing games. And uh, yes, I've backed both of them on Kickstarter, even though I'm not a Kickstarter fanatic. But today we have something a little different. Today we are talking about a brand new game by an established game company with a long pedigree of excellence in gaming. And joining us today is one of the men behind that company and the author of this new game, which is sort of an innovation of one of their other fantastic games. I am really excited because, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to the Old West today. And joining me today is Richard Clark from Two Fat Lardies and John Savage, the author of What a Cowboy. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Howdy. Hello. <laughs> nice to be here. I thought about actually doing that intro entirely in that voice, but I, I wasn't sure if people would just turn off after the first 10 seconds. So uh, I think I won't ever do that again. Two fat lardies. Some people call you Lardy Rich, uh, as, you are, as you are so known on Facebook. Richard, your company has been around for a long time. People would know you from What a Tanker from uh, Chain of Command, amongst many other games. Um, can you talk to us just a little bit about Two Fat Lardies as a company? How did you get started? And um, how does that lead to where we are now, given this is the first time you've ever been on the show? Yeah, okay, great. Well, Two Fat Lardies kind of happened accidentally. Um, I used to write a lot of articles for War Games magazines, and I, in one I said, hey, you know, we've, we're working on a set of World War II rules, and this is, these are the rules that we use when we're playing the scenario that I'm presenting here. If anybody's interested, drop me an email. I mean, this was uh, this must have been uh, 22, 20, 22 years ago, something like that. We, we never quite know when Two Fat Lardies arrived because we never made a note of it at the time because it wasn't ever meant to be a business and um uh, a lot of people emailed me and said you want to publish these and i said no i don't i don't want to publish them at all um but i did start printing them out and sending them to people and uh, i charged them three pound fifty a time uh, uh at the time and only when i worked out about four months later did i realize that it was costing me five pound a time to print them on my old bubble jet printer. So as a business venture, it was particularly rubbish. Um, so at that point, I thought, actually, there are enough people contacting me and saying, can I have a set? And I thought, I will get them published. So we, we got them printed just to 
save me losing money on this ridiculous bubble jet printer. And kind of uh, it, it all grew from there and accidentally, really. And and I guess I, it's been a full-time business now for 15, 16 years. Um, but again, nobody made a note of when that happened, so we're not really sure. But uh, yeah, um, we've uh, you know published rules like the the ones you mentioned. You know, chain of command is obviously a big one. Water tank is very popular, but we've got things like uh, sharp practice as well, which um, is pretty ubiquitous in the world of uh, black powder skirmishing uh, games. But loads of other things as well, and. Um, uh, we, we also set up a business called Rise of Its Press to allow us to publish rules by other people that weren't within the Lardy stable, um, really as a kind of collective venture, which allows us to encourage and develop new rule writing talent. And John very much falls within within that uh, scope, which is great. But we've also got people like Dave Brown, who's published rules such as General Darme, Pickett's Charge, um, who's on the Rise of Its Press side of things. Uh, very established game developer, but people like Mark Backhouse and James Morris, who's coming through with his his set of rules, Midgard. So we're, we're there doing the two sides of things, very much the two fat lardest things, which is myself and my colleague Nick, very much designing rules in the way we like to design them, and but also encouraging uh, new rule writers to come through, and that's that's something that we're we're very proud of and keen to do. John's in an unusual situation that he's a new game designer, but because he's taken a set of established Lardy rules, uh, which are what a tanker, and developed them for, uh, for the for the Old West, that he, he also accidentally falls under the two fat Lardy's banner. So he's a bit of a hybrid, which is true of him in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. So, John, you have described yourself as a serial tinkerer. How did that go from, you know, messing around with rule sets and playing with your friends on the tabletop, having people play the games that you've been developing, you know, for two to five people, to all of a sudden having a big game like this come out? I know some people would say it's come out of nowhere. The man's, you know, this is his first time at bat, but it isn't, is it? You've been doing this for a long time. Yes, yeah, I've, I've been I've been fiddling around with rules, and you know I I really like the, the two fat lardies rule set. Sharp, I started with sharp practice. We started doing sharp practice uh, participation games at some of the shows, and um, you know back got four or five years ago, probably longer than that now. Um, you know I, I started to write some scenarios for that. Started to to play around with pushing the envelope with some sharp practice stuff that ended up in, in the Lard magazine over the last couple of years. Um, I had a bit of a tinker with sharp practice to, to make a set of ancient rules, which um, uh, ultimately I think gave Rich a kick at the backside to actually come out with infamy, which was, which was a very different set of rules, but, but, you know, great. And I got involved in, in helping with some of the play testing of that. And I guess the, what the, what a cowboy thing was, uh, Again, one of those things by accident. I'll probably say that a lot. Um, it, it was just this sort of germ of an idea I had at the back of my mind that, you know, I played what a tank, tanker, enjoyed it. Um, but I, I, And I'm not sure where the original idea came from, but I just had, I thought, what, what would, you know, what if you could take, because I really like the mecha, the dice, the, the, the action dice mechanism, I think is really good. 
And I just thought, I wonder what, what could you do? What else could you do with that? And I've always been a fan of Wild West games. Um, you know, I've my my some of my first ever uh, one of my first ever gaming experiences I remember was was playing Wild West. Um, yeah, we 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 I've been playing it, but but I think like a lot of people never quite found that set of Wild West rules that really really gave me what I wanted. Um, so I, I had a nice collection of Wild West stuff that had been probably sitting in a box in the garage for probably about 10 years. Um, and I thought, well, actually, yeah, Wild West, Wild, would, yeah, that would that would work. Rather than having a tank, you can have a, an initial thought was, how would you, you know, would you have a, a group of guys? And I thought, actually, no, single, you know, one man, one-handed dice, that's the way to do it. Um, so I sort of sketched some ideas out on, on a bit of paper. And, you know, the, the, the sort of action dice, one is a move, two is a spot, three is an aim, uh, four and five are shoot. There's a wrinkle there, I'll come back to that. Six is, is the wild dice, the ace is high. You know, that was already written. Nick had come up with that, we were tankers. So I wasn't doing anything particularly clever. Um, and then so I, I sort of sketched some ideas out. Uh, we were playing, and this is going back, this is three years ago now. Um, so this is sort of middle of 2020, um, June 2020, I think, because I remember I've, I've got photographs of the first game we ever played. We were playing a lot of virtual games at the time um, uh, on a, a Wednesday evening, I think I remember. Um, and I said, the guys, I'm, I'm, and they're really good because they, they sort of indulge me. I'll come up with an idea and they'll probably roll their eyes and go, yeah, whatever. Um, but the, but they'll, they'll, they'll say, yeah, go, but we'll play. And we, we, we did that. We, I set a little table up, got my, got my box out of the garage with the buildings, pulled out some figures um and i remember it was sort of a it was a couple of high level characters against a, a bunch of uh, a bunch of um lower level characters very much sort of a um a, a spaghetti western man with no name type of thing three against the many um and it didn't work <laughs> but but despite that, I'm going. There is something in this, uh, and we sort of we sort of uh, took it took you know, took it off. Decided, uh, right? We we need the better level, the better characters to be a bit better. That's ultimately where the, the bonanza mechanic, the interrupt mechanic, came from, uh, and it started to develop. And actually, really quickly, we got to a stage where we had, this is quite fun. We're enjoying this, um, and we start we started playing. Um, and we probably played it, I don't know, for three or four months. And then I, I sat down and said, right, because most of it's still in my head, I'm going to have to write it, uh, write this down. That's always the, the difficult bit is taking those sort of amorphous ideas you've got in your head and actually putting it down into black and white on a piece of paper that m makes sense. Um, so I, I, I sort of, I did that, uh, I wrote it up and, and then I sent it to Rich and I, uh, I just, with, to the view said, look, I've done this. I think it's all right. We're having fun with it. Um, I'm thinking, yeah, this might be an article in the Lard magazine. And that's as, that's as far as at that point I'd got. Um, and Rich surprisingly came back and went, actually, I think we could do more than this. Um, and, and that's where it started. Um, said, I, yeah, I would like to do something. I think he had, I think probably still has an idea of sort of a, um, a range of, of rule sets. I, I think initially, I think he thought of something that we could do very quickly and get it out quickly. Um, and it probably morphed again into something a bit bigger than, than that. But um, that was it. So we said, right, okay, well, let's let's have a proper a proper run at this. We started play testing it. Um, and Having said that, it's it's quite hard work. Um, I'm not sure if I knew how difficult at times it would have been. 
I actually would have bothered starting in the first place. Um, yeah, yeah, people see the end rules and go, oh, yeah, it must be great to write. But actually, it's really, you know, and several times I've put that, I just had to put the whole thing aside and go, this, for whatever reason, you know, this isn't working. And that isn't, and I, there was probably, you know, a couple of times when I just six months, you know, six months off. And, and eventually you come back to it and you come up with ideas. Um, and then I think the real, the real impetus would probably when we started to, to get into what I call the proper play testing. We had a uh, rich, rich joined the group, uh, and there was probably a half a dozen of us that would we would we would play every week, um, and it was very much uh, and that was brilliant because that just that idea of getting people throwing ideas in and changing some of the things that came that, that came out of it. Um, and we really start and uh, really started to make um progress with the with the um with the rules but you know the 80 percent of the rules were it's the classic uh, um cliche isn't it but you know 80 percent of the rules were written in 20 percent of the time and and the final 20 percent was was at times a hard graft things like the campaign i really struggled and i always knew i wanted a campaign because it's great having a um a one-off um gunfire but you know i always and i guess you're harking back to things like you know more time one of the best games games workshop bless them ever made um the thing in that was the campaign um it had its challenges its problems but that whole idea of a of a, of a narrative campaign and i really struggled with with getting a getting that structure of that and how we did that and i remember we would we played a game here uh, again virtually and we were kicking around and some ideas um and and that's where the, the the basic idea of the campaign came out. Richard or Rich, I think, had come up with the idea of the the map with the town in the centre and outlying territories. Um, and then somebody, I can't remember, it, somebody said, "Well, actually, rather than having an open-ended campaign, why don't we have a limited campaign?" And six 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 games seemed a good idea. It sort of feeds into the sort of you know your TV series has got six episodes and and all of a sudden it was sort of everything sort of fell into place and that was right oh, right yeah six episodes that's great it's a short campaign it's very focused characters aren't going to develop too much and, and get super powerful um, within that six um, that six game window and then the whole idea of sort of working in from coming in from the outskirts to rival gangs coming in with a with a final gunfight in in the town with the classic sort of high noon scenario it all fell into place um, uh, and, and then we just started play testing that the difficulty then was getting the balance right we had a couple of aborted uh, campaigns where we had you know one side have a would have a runaway success but that was just then tweaking the numbers and getting the the, the reputations again I, I knew that i wanted characters to to develop um and and you could grow your characters and, and that's one of the things that we really really enjoyed um and players i think really get to do it and i think a lot of people now are, are blessed and playing the the one-off the one-off games which is great and great for learning but i think once you get into the campaign and you start with a couple of mediocre characters but you start to see them develop the game reputation they start to go from a you know greenhorn develops into a shootist into a gunslinger potentially into a legend and it was fantastic watching the the, the carrot these characters grow and the backstories grow and 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 things that happen in one game flowing into another game and and, and basically we, we were telling us we were telling a story which is you know what a wild west game should be um it was fantastic and that that's ultimately where it came in you have hit on so many things there. I We are going to talk about a lot of those in a minute. Um, but I do believe that Rich wanted to say something along the way. 
Uh, yeah, I did, actually. And I, I think you're absolutely right. John has, John has pressed so many buttons there, hasn't he? All the lights have come on and it's which ones to respond to. But certainly I think the, the point he's made is the fact that taking a game and then setting that in a campaign scenario adds so much extra narrative and so much extra flavour. And you as a player become far more invested in the characters in those games. And you actually start, as John said, as those characters develop, you start to learn about them. You start to learn how they want to fight. And they're developing. You're not you're not determining that. They're developing because of the campaign mechanism. And you then have to adjust the way you play those characters because they are developing in certain ways, developing certain skills and traits. And that's really good for your buy-in as a player. But also that campaign situation, when you put it in that campaign, um, it, you become really much more immersed. But, and there is a big but, that stops happening after a certain point in the number of games with any campaign. If you mm -hmm. have an endless campaign, it, it, there, there is no end, but people start to want for an end to happen because they've enjoyed the great bits and it's never going to get any better and it's never going to live up to that. So what John has done is created a campaign system that runs six games and it can actually, you can actually... Uh, you can actually play the underdog gambit at any point if the campaign is running so badly for you that if I think that there's no hope, I can just go, right, pull the ripcord and we cut straight to the grand finale, that uh, high street, main street shootout. And that's great because it's a mechanism that means the campaign's never going to go too on, on for too long. So it's, it's a real balancing case of, providing people with something that they can really buy into, but also they can see light at the end of the tunnel. Because we, we, all, we all want to play so many different games at so many different periods, and it's nice to know you're going to be doing this for a fixed period of time. Yes, I can now get on with my Renaissance stuff or my Napoleonic stuff as well. But, yeah, so that's been key. Or in my case, my World War II stuff. Yeah. But if if we are talking, let's let's take a step back and work our way through because I have a lot of talking points and questions, and we've kind of hit half of them. What a cowboy is, of course, uh, Two Fat Lardy's newest game. It has just come mm -hmm. out. It is available in the two from the Two Fat Lardy's website. It's also available from lots of other places. Mm -hmm. um, I believe North Star is selling them as well. Mm -hmm. um, if we are talking about the game itself it is a more historically leaning western game however it is very hollywood centric i have never told this story on the podcast but one of the first games that i played i was very excited by you know some of the small pocket games i got at some of the shops in boston was visiting my grandmother in iowa and was uh we happened to go to kansas city and while there, I, I guess it was because I was in the Midwest, I picked up the Alamo, this little pocket mm -hmm. game with little cardboard chits. And I never properly learned to play it. I asked my dad to help. He spent about 10 minutes. And that was the longest he've ever, pretty much he's ever played any game with me. Um, <laughs> not to be sad, but it meant that I did a lot of this by myself. But I played out the Alamo countless times using my own sort of hybrid rules, of what was there and what I understood and what I was having fun with. This is not the game to play the Battle of the Alamo, though. We are talking small numbers of models. In fact, once you start digging into the character creation for this game, um, which is wonderful, and the campaign system that you guys are talking about, this 
almost feels like what has role playing elements to it Mm -hmm. um, in the character development. And as you were saying a second ago, Rich, this really does start. You get attached to your characters watching your character creation videos and rolling up a couple of myself. Mm. I immediately went, Oh, I know who these people are. I want to put this on the tabletop. It feels good. It's a, it's a great character generation system. And because you have so few, you really do get to know them. Um, For those wondering, this is, and correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, a, a game that's played on a three by three tabletop. And if you are playing in a group game, people might have two to three miniatures each. If you're playing one-on-one, four-ish aside is kind of what you guys recommend. John, am I laying this out all right? Yeah, yeah, no, that that's spot on. It, it, it is a it's a small it's a small figure count game. Um, it's very much a game where actually in many ways, you know, less less is more. Um, yeah. uh, we 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 kick this around for for yeah a, a lot of the play testing. There, there are some yeah there are some mechanical restrictions because the way that the character activate they activate on a card draw. So each character has a card. You have a uh, a deck. You pull a you pull a card out. That character activates. Um, because of that, you've got one act, one character activating at a time. So you know you, if you have too many characters, you end up with too much downtime for the players. Um, but actually, because you've got a lot of decision making to make with 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 your characters, um, running a couple of characters, you've got plenty of decisions to make. And, and very much the idea of this game was, you know, it was a, a mul- the idea was a multiplayer game. Um, and that in that, you know, a, cu- a couple of characters each with with a bunch of friends around the table works perfectly well. But as you say, you can play it one on one, four, even six characters. You know, if you've got a, if it's one on one game, actually, you, you naturally tend to have less downtime anyway. So you can probably get away with a slightly higher figure count. But you're right. This isn't the game to, to, to refight the Alamo. This is, you know, and it's interesting going back and, and looking at some of the, the Western films. Gunfights are really small numbers. You don't get, you know, you don't get mass gunfights. You've got, you know, you've got no more than probably half a dozen combatants on each side, and, and that fits. Absolutely. And in one of Rich's videos uh, that I was watching and preparing for this, he hit on something that I had wondered a lot personally. I love the idea of a Western tabletop game. You know, huge fan of Westworld, Tombstone, and mm. countless Westerns, classic Westerns growing up. Clint Eastwood, don't even get me started. But when you talk about putting these things on the tabletop, as something that we talk about on the show a lot, is terrain. And having a, be- a, you know, a beautiful table that suits the game that you're playing really brings it to life. And Rich said a problem with Western gaming is often you're expected to have entire cities, towns. Um, you know, locomotive setups, the whole kit and caboodle to put it on the tabletop. And that can be really <laughs> a, a, a limiting factor. I have three boxes of uh, Western miniatures behind me that I would love to play with. But what actually stopped me from painting them is I thought, well, I don't have a table to play on. Um, now, I do have a friend that has a beautiful city, but how often am I going to go there to play? Um, what rich, well, I'll let rich say it for this game. You don't necessarily need much in the way of Western terrain. No, I mean, that, that, I mean, I would actually say you're better off without it and saving that for the grand finale. Cause that then makes that moment when 
like in any great Western film, when your characters do meet on Main Street, you know the film's coming to an end. You know good is going to triumph or evil's going to triumph, but somebody's going to triumph. Um, and the, the actual, again, in a film or in you know any of the classic Western series that uh, we all grew up with, you know, a lot of the action happens away from the town. And this, if you like, it's it's like a, a seven, six-course buffet meal. And the first five courses are the entree courses. They're, they're the starters. They're the amuse-bouche that gets us really interested and, and salivating so that when the main meal arrives, we can devour it and enjoy it with the maximum pleasure. But those games are the ones out at, uh, you know, you, you happen to meet at, at the mine or in the mountains or, or going through dry gulch or, or out at the ranch or the, the Spanish-Mexican mission or whatever. And those games are, are, are great. I saw uh, one of the guys that we know runs a, a channel here in the UK, Storm Steel, Alex. He did a game. It just had two, two buildings and a few fields. And he just basically it was a, a Midwest outpost, if you like. I think there was the, the postal office where the stage would stop. And opposite, over the road, there was a small saloon where the mm -hmm. guests would stay before the stage moved on the next day. And the rest was just fields and a few outbuildings and whatever. That's perfect. That's absolutely brilliant. And we can all look through our collections and go, hey, you know, I play these Napoleonic games and I've got an old barn or I've got this old... Um, building from the peninsula, which actually is perfectly great for somewhere down Mexico way. Mm -hmm. um, and we've, we've kind of, we're all ready to go uh, as long as we've got a few cowboys or, or cowgirls, of course, uh, because the rules are, you know, absolutely gender neutral. Everybody can get involved. Um, so it's, uh, uh, I think those games set in the outer areas are exactly what gives us that entree that that gets us really excited to go for the main course when we when we do have that final dramatic showdown where where one side's going to triumph. That's right, and, and I think as, as as Rich said, yeah, and he was he was very much encouraged when we were writing it to have that that situation. But I knew that I, I didn't just want the classic town. I wanted you know, some of those some of the best games we've had have been out in. Out in the in the wilds, and actually, again, you if you watch the films, you know, again, a lot of the times there are encounters outside of the towns. Um, so it was very much when I was writing it, it was the, the idea to come up with some some territories and there's ideas and the rules for the various territories, a little paragraph description of what it might look like, just really to help people get out of that mindset of I've got to have you know a dozen buildings. You don't you don't need that. And again, coming back to what you said about characters, again, I, I, I really wanted right from the start to. Uh, the, the the characters to have that bit of background, which again, when you you roll your character up, it's very simplistic. You know, you but you've you've got a sort of you know you might be you're a miner or a shopkeeper, depending on the on the class you are. They they vary, but you suddenly go, ah, oh, right, I, just by having that. This is what the guy did before. He might be is an ex-soldier or a rancher, or and immediately you've got a hook and you build a little story behind it. Um, and, and it's amazing again when we were playing the test games how the guys got behind that just by having that little hook. He's he's a shopkeeper. All oh, right, obviously falling on hard times, trying to do something different. And you know some of the some of the classic people that we had that just comes from that little hook, and, and that was something I was really keen to get people to do. 
Well, as you said, uh, and as you're mentioning that, I'm going to dig in, and we will talk about some of the different classes of characters a little bit later. Uh, class maybe not be the right word. Level. Um, we, we have a couple of experience levels, um, and obviously, the less experience, the less effective people are on the tabletop. We have the green corn category, then we have the shootist category, we have the gunslingers, and we have the legends. Now, as you start a campaign. What I love is that you roll a dice and you find out their background, which is exactly what John was saying. So some of the greenhorns, uh, you have a townsperson, a miner, a shopkeeper, a homesteader, railway worker. Um, for shootists, you could have a gun for hire, a Native American. You could have a soldier, a trapper. Uh, for a gunslinger, you could have a lawman, um, a bounty hunter, a dog barking in the background. Um, a gun Sorry, that's me. <laughs> that's right. It's usually me. Um, frontier scout. And then our legends, we also have the bounty hunters, outlaws, gun for hire, et cetera, et cetera. Now, each one of those you then roll within to get skills or traits that those characters have. Now, the greenhorns can have negative traits, uh, but... One of the cool things about the system is even if they start with a negative trait, you can opt out of those. You can buy out of those and develop them into full shootist characters as the campaign goes on pretty quickly. It can feel really bad when your character has a negative trait and your opponents doesn't. I know that from other game systems. And I love how this gives that char those characters I don't know the personality, but simultaneously not punishing the player game after game after game. And as I said before, it's only the greenhorns that have occasional negatives, um, but all the other ones are positives. And as you go up, of course, and you get into um, the gunslingers and the legends, then that they have some pretty special abilities on the tabletop that really makes them a cut above their peers. And, and that's very much it. You know, I knew again. I knew I wanted those different levels, and you know, there's nothing unique in that. There's plenty of Wild West games that use you know, similar similar mechanisms. But yeah, I wanted that ability to, to for your characters to develop and to, to be able to to differentiate um, the, the, the quality. Um, but equally, you said in terms of the campaign system, again, one of the things that we're very keen to do is is get the balance right. So you know, have background, but yeah, if you if you if you're unlucky. In, yeah, you roll a negative trait, then it felt really a bit unfair to just keep keep that for the whole game. So the fact that you can you can you can replace that, you're effectively using you're not you gaining another skill, but you're replacing a, a negative trait. And it's really interesting. A lot of the games you've seen actually, because you start off with a if you're playing the campaign, you start off with a gunslinger. Sorry, you start off with a greenhorn and a shootist. Often. It's the greenhorns that end up at, as the, at the end of the campaign as being the heroes. It's, it's amazing how sometimes those those guys will just leapfrog over normally their better partner. Uh, and you know, we've had a couple who not made it to legend have been very very close. Um, and that that's again that's a great story. It's it's the sort of the kid who made good type of thing, which again all adds to the, the narrative. Now we're about a half an hour in. And I will get angry messages from people if I don't talk mechanics. So let's talk a few mechanic, mechanical elements of how this game works. Now, we did mention earlier that this is not a you-go-I-go system. Every character has a card in a deck, and you shuffle them, and you play them out. So you never know who's going to activate next. But 
if somebody's activated that for that turn, obviously they won't activate again. Now, once someone activates, they get six action dice. Now, those action dice can help determine what those characters do during their activation. Now, when I first heard this, I thought this is a strange mechanic because it means that you don't always get to do what you want on the tabletop. But the more I've actually pushed it around the tabletop, the more I really like this. And it and it has really, from the games I've watched and some of the things I've done, just pushing things around, really leads to some wonderful cinematic moments. Um, so when you roll those six dice, you look at the results and you put those six dice with their results on a, a section of the character card, which we'll talk about in a minute. If you roll a one, you can use that to move a character. If you roll a two, you can use that to spot someone. Now, if someone's standing within line of sight within 12 inches, you can automatically see them. If it's further away, you have to roll a spot check or you need to spend some of your spots to be able to see them. Likewise, if someone's behind something, that can uh, you know hinder line of sight. If you roll a three, you can aim, which just improves your chance to hit. With a four or five, you can shoot. Or in some cases, almost impor as importantly, reload. And then six, ace is high. Six allows you to do some heroic stuff on the tabletop that you don't normally have the chance to do. But also, it gives you the opportunity to plug that six into any other gap that you need. So you could say, oh, God, I really need to move. Well, you could use that six as a one. Or you could use it as a spot. Or you could use it as a name. So it gives you the chance to fill in the dice that you need. Now, as you are playing the gunslingers and the legends, they also get to change the facings of those dice, giving those characters more of a ability to have agency on the tabletop beyond what the dice may have rolled. And that really make, gives them, how should I say, um, a character and it makes them deadly on the tabletop without having 62 pages of rules attached to their card. It's a really nice quick system that feels right without adding all of those extra tiny, tiny words on a card that requires me to pull my glasses out. I, I really like that that doesn't have to happen. Rich, that came from what a tanker, if I'm correct. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the... <clears throat> the, um, the the dice uses are almost identical in what a tanker one is a move two is a spot three is a name four is a shoot five is a reload and six is a wild dice so ace is high if you like there's a slight difference there that you know, with it with a tank you shoot and then you reload um every time whereas in what a cowboy certainly during the play test we actually started out that way, didn't we, John, with uh, did, four yeah. being the shoot and five being a reload. And it's kind of, but hold on a minute. I don't need, to, if I'm there with a six shooter, I'm not going to take one shot and then break the pistol and then reload that chamber. So we we worked that through logically. So four and five is, is a gun-related activation, be that shooting it or reloading it. Um, so, yeah, the, the mechanism is there. Some of the details of what you can do within with with that are slightly different. So the way a, the way a, a, a character, a man or a woman character moves in what a cowboy is different to the way a tank moves because I move differently to a tank. Well, hopefully, 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, in basically, in in big picture, that that's the same system. Yeah. And I think that's I think that's it. That 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 element of you've got an element of friction, which is you know one of those things that's always in the Lardy rule sets. You can you know any Lardy rule set, you can never do exactly what you want there's always something that that's that, that's giving you without that the, the dice mechanic works really well for that because you know uh, and i think i think there's something in that which which people enjoy you know rolling that hand of dice and just getting the perfect you know the perfect roll of combat uh, where you can then link a number of combinations together is is a great moment in the game equally when you roll the dice and you just get the worst hand ever and it's just like oh, God, well, I, I can't do anything. But you know, generally, you can do something. Uh, sometimes you can do everything. Sometimes you can't do anything. But it, there's a real nice, no, no, real nice mix in that. And I again, just um, sorry, John, if I can jump in there. I think that's the that's the part of the game that people actually really enjoy. They roll a hand of dice that is subprime. Let's be kind. It's not perfect, but so uh, you can't do everything you want. But then the challenge for you as the gamer is, what can I do? How do I make the best out of this hand that I possibly can? And that's where you, you have to start using the little grey cells. Uh, you have to use your brain. And and actually, when you, you get a roll, you roll a hand of dice and you go, oh, you take the first look. That's not what I wanted. But then you go, actually, if I do this and then do that and do this, and you combine that and make a, make a, a better hand out of it than you thought it was, there's a real sense of satisfaction because you it's almost like a puzzle-solving exercise within a game. I, I was going to say exactly that. It's like a mini, it's like a mini quick puzzle, um, which which that. And I think the other thing as well is there's a de, there's often decision making. You haven't got the perfect hand. You can't. You haven't got exactly what you want. But you've got enough maybe to do something, but you've got to take a risk. And do you go, actually, do I do I use that hand? It's it's not optimal, but I could pop around the corner and take a couple of shots, but I'm gonna be left hanging. Do I do that because my opponent's on the back foot, or do I do I sit here where it's you know where I'm safe and then hopefully next turn I'll get a better hand of dice. But if I don't do something this turn, what's he going to do when he's when he activates? Mm -hmm. And that that decision making, you know, again, for me, games are fun when you have to make decisions. And I think that there's a lot of decision points in this game um, that just all add up to, to making it fun. But it also really adds a narrative element um, in some of the games that I've watched. Characters almost take on a life of their own in the actions that you roll and then what you do with them. It's almost as though they have their own personality in the way that they act things out on the tabletop because of the dice that you've rolled. And this is the why it's such a joyful system for the Wild West, because it's like watching a Western movie, which we all love doing. You can influence it, but you can't write the script. You can influence the way the script evolves, but you never write the story. The story writes itself. And that comes back to that, you know, those those greenhorn characters that just seem to get the right dice. I remember playing a game with with our with our guys locally. One of the guys had a greenhorn, and you know, he was rolling two or three sixes every single time, which means actually he's really effective because with those sixes you can pretty much do what you want. Um, and sorry, um, I, and we'll remember that because that was suddenly a greenhorn character that was clearly this 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 kid coming up in the film. But he was really good, and in the campaign, he would have developed and gone on probably to be a legend. Um, but yeah, it, it's that it's that narrative story that really helps. 
Now we have vaguely mentioned, now I did mention the four levels of characters, but there's also another couple of tiers of people that might appear on a What a Cowboy tabletop. We have henchmen groups that might arrive. They could be, you know, local deputies. They could be desperados, bandits of some kind, um, even just angry townspeople. But you could also have separate NPC townspeople characters on the tabletop. And again, it's it's always funny to look at some Western games that where is everyone? You know, they're playing in the middle of a city. Why is it empty? Is this a ghost town? Um, which is where I thought Sarissa's, you know, deserted ghost town city was perfect for this, um, for a lot of those games, because there's no other people anywhere. However, with this game, there is. And I really like that it it gives the place that you're playing a personality as well. What were some of the challenges in developing um, the townspeople and the henchmen group. I mean, you can use them as human shields. There's all sorts of different actions that happen when you're working with them. That is very different from what a tanker. Yeah. Yes. Ab- absolutely. And again, I, you know, exactly what you said. Yeah. You you want you want the place um, you want the place to feel like it's a, a real place that, that that's lived in. Um, and I, you know, I've got a number of civilians with doctors around the table, and then thought actually we need to have some rules to to get them involved. Um, and you know, the, again, the balance there was trying to get something that wasn't too onerous and didn't take too much time, um, but gave those you know gave those civilians um, a, an element of, of agency. Um, for good, bad, you know, whether the, the have a go hero. So, you know, if you're shooting next to the old lady and suddenly she she backs you, bolts you over the head with her umbrella or she pulls a derringer out of a basket and shoots at you or, you know, the, the guy that's standing by the side of the, the, the saloon who turns out he's a retired bounty hunter and um, has a go at you. But equally, they're, they're as likely to just run away or, or, or freeze. But you can interact with them, which I think is really important. Um, so yeah, that that was something that that you know very much wanted. Again, that that sense of of being in a real place. Um, the henchman group were interesting. The henchman the, the henchman group originally came out because I wanted to get more figures on the table. It was a it was as simple as that, and that's why the idea of actually let's have a let's have a base with with three figures on it, uh, and and then that 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 sort of developed from that and, and became quite a you know an important part because it's it's the henchman group are it, it's a you can bring um, some of these sort of, I guess, uh, what you call extras. I guess if you again, if you're watching a, watching a film, these are the guys that are in the background, but they're taking part. Um, they're not particularly good, um, but they they can be they can be very very useful. And again, it's one of the things that we use um, uh, to with some of the territories. You can get henchmen. You can effectively have henchmen groups um, joining your your um, your your gang. For a, if you're fighting a certain territory um, in a particular game, but also it's one of the balancing mechanisms for the campaign where we're trying to make sure that the two the two gangs aren't getting too one gang isn't getting too far far out, above somebody else. So you can potentially you know recruit a um, the, the the local deputy in or and and a couple of his sidekicks in there. So um, and I think there's a lot of potential for the henchman group. Um, I've I've got some ideas. You know I've played. Um, done some variations for a 1920s gangster game using the basic mechanics and in that actually henchmen groups are um are really quite interesting because they don't have any uh, they don't have they don't have any um, firearms 
but they're all tooled up with baseball bats and knives and knuckle dusters. So in that, henchmen group are actually really good in close combat. Um, so so that's something I'm playing around with. There's maybe different flavors of henchmen groups that we can bring in for, for other ideas. But yeah, the henchmen groups are... Uh, they're, they're great. You can recruit them. You can you can use some of your uh, your income to recruit them, and they're, they're useful to have on your side just to give you a bit of a boost. Nice. Just don't expect them to do very well. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. But if if your opponent if your opponent oh, yeah. is having to shoot at your henchman group, he's not shooting at you. So, no, exactly. You know, right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and and you know, a lucky shot because that's one of the great things about the game. Anybody. No matter how, you know, you've got those four levels of characters. And I, I, my character could be a legend, and John could have a greenhorn who's just happened to stroll into a gunfight rather unprepared, but happens to roll that hand with a load of aces, high sixes, and he could take out my legend. So that's, that's part of the joy of the story of the Old West, isn't it? The bigger they yeah. are, the harder they fall. Absolutely. Exactly, right? I want to quickly touch on something that I think is really great because I play a lot of skirmish games and they often involve lots of little tiny words on cards. And some of those games I love, I adore. This is really nice in that you have almost a control panel that goes for each character next to the board. It has the character's name. It has their level, has a couple of skills. You got their weapons to write out. Um, usually it's one or two. You have a space on there for some six-sided dice for ammunition. Um, you have a space for some Bonanza tokens, and we'll talk about those in a minute. And you have the space for your six dice. There's also a space for what they call the shock pool, which is once your character starts taking damage, they lose the ability to, to roll some of their dice every turn, and that's where they hang out in the shock pool. Now, you can, when you're rolling your dice, if you roll a six, start to recover from that and you can use those six to bring dice back into your action pool as people patch themselves up, which is a clever mechanic. Again, you're giving characters longevity on the tabletop without having tons of extra rules, um, which, again, streamlines play and keeps, thing, keeps things fresh. Control panel, is, is that something that is from What a Tanker as well, or is this something that you guys developed specifically for this game? Yeah, sorry, if I can jump in there. I think yeah, the control panel is is, is is replicated in What a Tanker in a similar way. But I think what what a cowboy does and what a tanker does is is recognise that in combat there's, there's two types of damage you can inflict on your opponent. There is you can actually you can actually wound them in in What a Cowboy. You can actually cause a physical wound, which will cause the permanent a permanent loss of action dice. But you can also just Scare them to death, you know, <laughs> and that is the shock dice. Hence, the hence the, the use of the word shock. You're just so shocked you can't use a dice until you can reclaim it, and that is an important part of the game because we've talked about how aces high dice are really good because they allow me to turn them into anything I want to do. That then creates that fabulous decision point: Do I get that additional shot, or do I? get that aimed shot by using that or do i do i reclaim that dice from the shot pool it's like a rallying mechanism if you want to use a classic historical wargaming term so it's uh, it's just another mechanism that as you say um doesn't uh, mean that your characters get completely blitzed out of the game on the first turn it's more likely that 
they will lose some of their action dice, but be able to get them back. Exactly. And I really like the dodge mechanic as well. If someone shoots at you and you have something to dodge behind, you have a chance of ducking behind it and saving your skin. Now, you might have to then stand back up and then you might get a pin token that you need to get rid of. There's all sorts of different decisions that, uh, just to quote what John was saying earlier, that you have to make. It's almost like, for me, a series of bad decisions every time I start to play the game, which is going to be the worst decision for me this time, which is, you know, the fun. But I love that it has that element of throwing yourself in the dirt or in the game that I saw you play, Rich, where you had one of your characters dive behind um, a wagon to survive yeah. a shotgun being emptied out at you. Brilliant. So much fun. So cinematic. Um, and then you were able to uh, come back from that later. I think I think you're right. That that cinematic uh, word is is something that I really wanted. So that I, you know, again, somebody shoots at you. I didn't want just a static. Oh, I see. I shoot. You shoot at somebody. Do you hit or miss? And then you move on. The fact that you you've potentially been hit, but you've got that as you say that chance to dive, uh, dive out of the way, or duck back, duck down behind the fence, or whatever that is. And I think that gives you a. It keeps players involved all the time, both players, but also it adds to that cinematic story. And and you know you've got that classic. Oh, because the way the shooting works, actually, the, the hit and damage role is a single role, um, which I think has is, is, is confused a couple of people because that's not the way that games normally operate. Um, so there is an element of, you know, potentially you at this point, you've taken a critical hit. So you you know, this is a really, really important role. If I make this dodge, I'm going to be OK. If I fail this dodge, I'm in big trouble. And again, that adds a bit of drama, I think, to, to, to that role. Um, but yeah, I really like the dodge mechanic and just the fact that you do get people just diving all as soon as you dodge, you take a pin token, it means you've got to spend a dice and move dice to recover from that. So there's a disadvantage to the to a successful dodge. Um, but it can be literally a life-saving. Desperado cards. What are these and how do they play out on the tabletop? So the, des the desperado cards are, I guess, one-off bonuses. Um, again, I, I, nothing particularly original. I, there are various. I think there are eight cards in Watatanka that give you uh, can give you a bonus, and you can earn those as you as you as if you're an ace or something like that. So again, I took the idea thought oh, that's a really nice mechanic. It's nice to have a, yeah, a one-off bonus. And it, it, it just expanded out from that. So rather than having, I think I started with eight and and then people said, we want, we like this, we want more of these. And we ended up with 32 or something like that. A couple of doubles in there. So they're not all unique, but most of them are. Um, and it was just a case of, right, let's, these gives you, this can be anything from, you can have a free move. Um, it get, Some of them give you a mechanic where you can, it allows you to automatically recover your dice out of your shock pool, um, all sorts of different things in terms of that. Um, and and I, I spent a whole afternoon, I remember, um, Googling and searching for quotes from Spaghetti Western. So every single Desperado card has a quote from a Spaghetti Western. Um, but uh, I just want to make that clear because there was a lot of work that went into that. But I add the flavor, you know, and I always like, you know, when you play it, read out that title and then say what it does because it adds to that, that Western flavor. I, th I think it's nice. We all like, it's the theater of the game. When we've got your character reference sheet, you've got your Bonanza tokens, which you can throw in the ring. I'm sure we'll talk about them more. Um, and you've got your you've got your 
playing card bonuses from, from your Desperado cards. And, you know, if you're really good, you'll have more than one. You might have two or those. What's the limit, John? I think three, isn't it? Or uh, I think it's th I think it's three, yeah. I mean, it won't, again, right. just, you know, behind yeah. the curtains, sort of at one point, we, we ended up with lots of Desperado cards. And actually, it was it was... We were playing cards more than rolling. It was too dice. silly, wasn't it? It, it was, and, and the guy said we just need to. And again, that's the yeah. beauty of play testing. You try this, you've got a great idea, you keep laboring up, but it's 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 a it's a flavouring. You know, we had too much salt in the soup at that point, so we sort of pulled it back. And you've got you'll have one usually one desperado card. Again, if you play in the campaign, you can gain maybe a couple of Desperado cards. You might have a certain scenario where you'll get a, a, a bonus where you might get an extra one. So you typically have no more than three, but it's usually one or two. And it just adds that little bit of flavor. Um, sometimes you've got a card that actually you don't end up using because it's not the right situation. Other times it can be an absolute game winner. Um, but that's it's, the beauty. Um, it's, it's a bit like a get-out-of-jail-free card in Monopoly. It's great in Monopoly because there's only one jail. So you get out of jail free. In What a Cowboy, there are lots of different jails. There are lots of different situations that you might want to get out of. And that Bonanza card is likely to get you out of one situation. Now, that might, might come up, might not. So sometimes they're, they're not useful at all, but sometimes they're a lifesaver. And it's, it's lovely to have that little thing in front of you, knowing that you've, you have literally got a card up your sleeve. Love it. Love it. Well... You mentioned the Bonanza tokens. Let's talk about the poker chips that fit on that character card. John, what is a Bonanza token and how does it work in this game? So the fundamental, there's a couple of things you can do with the Bonanza token, but probably the, the, the key one is it's, it allows you to interrupt. So effectively, because of the because of the mechanism, the card draw mechanism, um, the active player is is rolling their dice. They're running they're running around doing all the cool stuff, shooting. And everybody else is standing around without anything happening. And, and what the Bonanza token allows you to do is to react. So if you've got a Bonanza token, the active player pops around the corner, he aims at you, and he's going to shoot at you. you. You can spend that Bonanza token to shout Bonanza, throw it onto the table, and that then allows you to interrupt. You get to roll dice. Uh, you get to roll your action dice less than you would normally do. It's it's less effective than when you, when you're activating on your action card, but it gives you a means of of being able to react. And what that does is a couple of things from a game mechanic point of view. It means that everybody's always involved. So even if you're not the active player, you're keeping an eye on the table because actually you want to be able to to call that bonanza if somebody's going to shoot at you or if somebody you know runs across the street, then actually you can bonanza them and try and interrupt them uh, and shoot them. Um, so that that's really that's really important, and that's a really key. And the, the bonanza tokens, not everybody has them. So poor old Greenhorn doesn't have any bonanza tokens because they're not very good. They're not really used to to, to reacting in a gunfight. They are probably just going to stand there and go, "Oh, blimey!" when somebody runs around the corner. Um, but a uh, once you start getting a little bit more experience, your shooters will get one, your gunslinger will get two, and your legend will get three. Um, and these are, you know, they're a limited resource. That's all you get for the whole game. Um, so you have got to, again, it's another decision point. When do you spend that bonanza? Um, do you know, the guy's, the guy's going to shoot me, but I'm sitting behind cover. I know I've got a decent chance of dodging. Actually, I'm going to hold off. I'm not going to bonanza him. But the guy's pop round. He's got me banged to rights. Uh, I desperately need to spend a bonanza. So again, it's another, it's another really interesting uh, decision point. 
And you can do other things with Bonanza as well. So you can use it to re-roll. Um, so again, you can use it to re-roll a set of dice. So that gives you another opportunity to 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 do something to uh, effectively um, change fate. Um, uh, you can also use it to spend it to recover uh, some of your dice out of your shop pool if you really need to. So again, you've got you've got you've got lots of things you can do with it, but a limited resource. Again, it comes back to that, that decision making. But it's a really nice and it's a really nice mechanism. The other important thing as well is and we developed this relatively late on. Um, it allows you you can also have a fast draw situation. So if somebody bonanzas you you can call a fast draw if you have a bonanza token and that then gets that then is a classic sort of wild west shooter a shootout situation and we've got a dice roll off so that you you might have been bonanzaed but can you get your shot off before your opponent does and, and that's that's a real key moment to one of the great great moments in the game is those fast draw situations 100 percent. in fact i watched one of those in the game that uh, rich was playing and yeah it was incredibly cinematic i could almost hear the uh, clock tower in the distance and the <laughs> reaching for the pistols it was uh it's exactly what i want in a game of old west and john i'm so glad that you were able to work that out in there because uh, it wouldn't be an old west game without one of those moments where both people go for the the six shooters at the same time mm -hmm. we did talk a little bit about a campaign system and it generally revolves around a map of possible locations. Um, but as Rich was mentioning earlier, um, a lot of these situations are places where you wouldn't need a lot of Old West quote-unquote terrain. Of course, you can put those in. Those elements are obviously welcome on the tabletop. But if you don't happen to have them like I don't, um, I do have lots of Old West adjacent terrain. That is perfect for this. I have some desert boards from uh, my World War II games. Yeah. I have some barns from my uh, European World War II games. And just uh, assorted scattered terrain here and there. I bought a, a pack of cacti. Um, and now I think I'm ready to go. But as you say, as you're working through the campaign, you might want to incorporate some other elements in there as well. It is a six-game limited campaign, as you talked about before. Does the map have any other aspect to the game playing other than the terrain on the actual tabletop. I'm ashamed to say I haven't gotten to that part of the book yet because I only just got my rules. Okay, hold on. I'm going to jump in here and I'm going to let John explain exactly how the territories are important. But let me just pitch the big picture here. We're playing this campaign and as we've discussed, the grand finale of the campaign is going to be on the main street in Lardville in our, in our town here. You know, other towns are available. So, you know, it could, could be wherever, whatever, Tombstone or whatever. And, uh, but the whole purpose of playing those early games, the, the initial five games, let's say, uh, is to allow me to gain an advantage over my opponent so that in the sixth game, the grand finale game, I've got the edge over my enemy. And so all those early games where we're playing at the railroad station or the Lazy S Ranch or the mountains or the mine or the Spanish mission, they are all opportunities for me to gain an advantage. Now, John, how does that happen and how do those territories help with that? Okay, so ter territories give you give you bonuses. So it really said as you as you develop uh, as you play a game, um, then you 
your characters will gain reputation within a game by doing things. Um, and that, that, those reputation points will allow your characters to develop. But the territories have value. So effectively, the, if you win a game in these, if you fight, for example, you fight at the Lazy S Ranch, um, if you win that game, you then control the Lazy S Ranch. The Lazy, the Lazy S Ranch will give you some benefits. Um, one of the obvious ones is it will bring you revenue, and there's different revenues between the various territories. So actually, the mine, I can't remember exactly what they are, but some of them have, you know, the mine, for example, tends to generate more revenue, obviously, um, than the timber mill or the mountains, for example. So there are there's a choice to be made about um, the if you're the attacker, which territory do you want to attack? And you probably want to attack the, the, the one that's going to give them um, the biggest the biggest revenue. Having said that, you need to win the game to control that. If you don't win it, you're, you're giving it to your opponent and they will have that. So each game uh, will allow you to control a territory. Uh, that territory will then give you revenue, and then you can use that revenue to buy extra weapons, uh, to recruit um, henchmen, and to basically to, to build your gang up. With the idea being that the five previous, as Rich said, the five games before the five finale, uh, is you're trying to improve your characters to get your characters leveled up as best you can to get to buy better weapons, better more equipment, and there's a whole range of equipment that you can buy to boost your guys up, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, with the idea that when you finally get to that final showdown in Main Street, you're gonna you're gonna turn up with your your um, your A game, the best team that you can, and it's important to it's important to point out winning the campaign is all about winning that last game. You can lose every single game in the campaign, but you can still win the campaign by winning that last game. Now, if you win, if you lose every single game up to that, um, you're probably not going to be as good as your opponents. You're not going to have much revenue, if any. So uh, you're 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 not exactly helping yourself. But well, again, one of the things that I wanted there is you, you're nothing is predetermined. You know, you're in a situation of going. You shouldn't be in a situation of going. Oh, this is pointless. I can't do anything. There's always that chance of going, uh, you know what, I've got a chance here. And as Rich said, there is a mechanism whereby if you've lost the first three games, you might go, actually, I'm just going to I'm going to go straight to the final game um, I, 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 before my opponent gets gets a, a, gets even stronger. Um, but you've always got that chance. Um, so the territories are there. They give you benefits. Um, they give you revenue. Um and if you're fighting in, if you control a revenue and somebody's fighting it, they can give you some other benefits as well. So again, it's it's about trying to make them living, living places that that are something other than just a, a name on a on a on a map or a piece of paper. As you're developing characters through the campaign, yes, there are skills that you can develop, and there's two pages of different abilities and skills. Um, that you can then give to your characters. But again, you're not going to end up with 72 of these things. The, sp the space on the character sheet or the um, control panel is very small. There's only a few skills that you're going to get. So you don't have to memorize a million things. Mm. But you can also equip them with different gear. You can go to the gun shop or the general store and buy different gear in different places. Some are weapons, obviously. Some are things that you can equip characters with that have an effect on the tabletop. And again, those can change what your characters are able to do on the tabletop, changes their abilities. And yeah, so there's different ways to advance. And if you have characters that maybe don't have as many skills, but if you have some of those territories that give you an income, you can spend that income in the shops, get better gear, 
and certain people can only shop in certain places. Grain horns, for example, aren't allowed in the gunsmith because um, they're just random farmers and whatnot. You need to actually be someone who's used to being around guns before you can get the big guns, so to speak, or the 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 fancy pearl handled Winchesters or pearl handled uh, pistols. That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. Absolutely. Yes. Um, and then, yeah, so you, you, and you've got all sorts of things there. So you've got, yeah, you've got, you've got a range of different weapons, um, uh, but you've also got, you know, fun things. So you you can you can go and equip your character. You can buy him a, a set of fancy duds, you know, a nice suit, which will give you a bonus in, in your reputation, I think. The, per, the pearl-handled, uh, you can get yourself some pearl-handled uh, pistols uh, and things like that. So um, there are things that will directly help you in a in the in, on the tabletop gunfight, and there are things that potentially will help you in boosting your reputation, which will allow your character to develop maybe a little bit faster. So again, lot, lots of things that you can play around with. And again, I'm sounding like a, a stuck record, but lots of decisions to make. Yeah, can I just say that as as a as a publisher, one of the things that I didn't want from what a cowboy was, I didn't want a role playing game. Um, where you have got loads of different characteristics and loads of skills and whatever that you're going to spend a lot of time trying to memorise in order to get the most out of your character. But what I did want and what John has provided is a game where characters can develop, but that is at a manageable level and it it, it keeps it exciting uh, and interesting. So, yeah, it's not an RPG game, but there's there's a lot, a lot of character coming out of this and uh, as John said earlier less is often more because to explore those individual characters it, you, you you don't want to be controlling 10 of them because you will simply miss out on on their abilities and, and again I, there's an element of we, we had we had some long discussions about this but yeah one of the things in terms of skills is that the allocation of skills is still random mm. um, so actually what you can find is your characters get develop skills and develop in, in a certain route that you're not not necessarily choosing that but you know if you get the marksman skill for example well it makes sense that actually that guy is going to be good he's going to be standing off he wants to he wants a winchester or a long rifle to be able to snipe from from further off if you if you get a knifeman skill then you probably suddenly go actually this guy starts to develop as a bit of a close combat expert you equip him that way and again it's one of those one of those things that we saw with um, a little bit like the way watching your um, or helping watching your characters when they're on the tabletop uh, do things almost, almost on their own if I, if I can call it it's interesting characters almost developing on their own route without you saying I want to have a, a marksman and it was really interesting again some of the playtest games we saw that absolutely happen um, but then the, you know the, the players will then get behind that and you know we had one of the guys I remember who, you know, he spent the whole, his, you knew his character was not going to go anywhere near the center of the table. He was always going to be on a rooftop with a rifle, probably with a telescopic side, being a real pain in the backside, um, while other guys would be in there absolutely uh, duking it out. So that, that's, again, that's really interesting in the way that develops. I know our time is starting to run thin, but I do want to talk about a couple of quick things. We always talk about scenarios on this show. This comes, this game comes with six missions. Each has its own character is very different from one another. And those are not sequential missions. Um, you can play them in different orders. Um, however, the last mission is always the first mission, which is um, the 
gunfight, the high noon, high noon. High yeah. Noon. However, there's a nice element to this in that there's a chapter of the book called dirty tricks and pesky varmints. And with that, we have, you can pay actual money. Um, well, not real money, obviously. Game money. <laughs> I'm going to spend $20. <laughs> I'm going to send Rich $20 to change the rule. No. Um, that, why hasn't anyone actually put that in the a game? <laughs> I will. Next next set of rules is going in there. <laughs> TM, Brad, uh, cast dice. There we go. Deployment points can move. You can move. You can have movable deployment points for your characters. You can have ambush points where you can ambush things, which breaks the scenario rules. Um, so you can actually massage how those scenarios play out. Uh, again, just to line up with your favorite Western plots. And again, you can have the henchman group uh, join in as well. So you can, you know, one of your characters could have run to the saloon, gotten some friends and come on out. Guys, I have to say, I am really excited to play this game. It is reads unbelievably well. I have pushed it around, as I said, pushed around minis and rolled dice, and man, does it feel good. Um, I have a PDF copy that I've printed out. I don't have my full copy yet with all my cards, but they are coming, uh, and my des and my Desperado tokens. Um, uh, sorry, my Bonanza tokens. I cannot wait to properly play this. John... You have to be happy that this is your first full published game. This is a beautiful, beautiful game. And Rich, you're a bad man because now I need to buy what a tanker. <laughs> That's how it works, mate. It's a gateway drug. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, Rich, Thank you so much for making the time for coming on today. Really, thank you. It is uh, it is a pleasure to have you on. We've been talking about your games and passing for years, and it's lovely to have um, one of the lardies on to uh, to talk shop. It's awesome. Thanks, man. Uh, it's been a great pleasure. I've uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you very much for inviting me on, and John, of course, who's, uh, who's the real star of the show. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. As I mentioned before, John, hats off. Um, to, to knock one out of the park like this, your quote-unquote first time out, even though we said it isn't necessarily your first time out. It's amazing. It's so amazing that your phone is ringing while we're talking about oh, it. Adoring fans trying to get hold of me. <laughs> Other publishers, probably. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, John, thank you so much for making the time, and congratulations on just a triumph. This is a great game. Well, look, th thank you. It's great, great to hear. I mean, yeah, I, I, I always, I, I knew we were onto something. And we play, you know, we've played so many games of it, and so many test play test games of it, and people have really enjoyed it. But there's always a little bit at the back of your mind going, "Are they just saying that? Is is it? I enjoy it. Is it really good?" So actually, to get it out there, there was there was always that little bit of nervousness going, "What if nobody likes it?" So actually, see people playing it, reading it, and and really enjoying it is fun, is fantastic. So, yeah, I, I'm thrilled. And, and thank you for, A, the opportunity to talk about it. Um, as you probably gathered, I could talk about it for ages. Um, but, yeah, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. And uh, hopefully people will either, if they haven't bought it, will we'll have a look at it. And certainly I, I, think it's a, I think it's a good system. I enjoy it. So that's the main thing. 
Look for it in your local shops, ladies and gentlemen. I got my copy from Two Fat Lardy's website, and um, I got a little package with it, which was real nice. And uh, I highly recommend you check it out there. Friends, if you have anything that you would like to um, for us to talk about on the show, please reach out to Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E on Facebook. You're guaranteed a response by me. Hi, my name is Brad. Um, just remember that when you message the page, it might take me a few hours to reply because I do occasionally sleep and I am in Australia. But on that note, I think it's time to talk about what our buddy Casey always says when you are playing the games that we know and love. I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.